me included. Don't forget, uh, ladies' night out, Friday night, Colton's and Dixon at 6.30. If you're going to go, you need to let Miss Penny know so we can make a reservation for you there. At Colton's? Or at the, at the softball game? I don't know if they have concessions. Surely they do. They do. They have concessions. Yep. I don't know if it has hot dogs. but I love a good corn dog. All right, open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I don't have too, not too much tonight, so hopefully it won't keep us too long. And I'm glad we were able to spend some added time in prayer. That's very important. And I hope your request got prayed for. If it didn't, we should, we should share those and, and pray over them. We are in chapter 3, beginning with verse 5, down through verse number 9 tonight. We went 1 through 4 last time we were together in Corinthians. It's been a couple of weeks since... We've gone through the Easter sermons, but let's just read from 1 through 9 to get our minds back on the text that we're in. Paul writes, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive of his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for time together in your word tonight. We ask for your blessing upon it. As we look to it and study it, that we might grow by your word. Holy Spirit, illuminate the word to us. This is our ask. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So we're talking about spiritual immaturity. Paul has established that there are those in the world who are saved, whom he, he refers to here as spiritual, and then those who are unsaved, who he refers to as the natural, the natural man. And then he takes this further then in chapter 3 and explains that among the saved are those who are immature, and he calls those carnal. So they're carnal Christians. They're not the natural man, but they're not quite being spiritual. They're somewhere in the middle there, and he calls them carnal and those he puts up against those who are mature. So under this heading of these are members of the church. These are people who are saved. But even amongst there, you have some who are immature. You have some who are mature. And Paul specifically calls the immature ones here carnal. He writes that they aren't believing. I mean, they aren't behaving like people who believe in the Holy Spirit and who are led by the Holy Spirit. And although they are believers, they act like unbelievers and the proofs that he gives them for that is verse 3. He says, you've got envying strife and divisions among you. And this ought not be characterized of those who make up the church. So the Corinthians dis displayed their immaturity by forming loyalties to certain human leaders in the church. And Paul says, this is, this is, the, this is the root cause of these symptoms we see now. This division, strife, envying that we have here. Last time we looked at the issue Paul presented there in the first four verses. 
In verse number one, he said, when I first came to you, you were babes with Christ. Verse number two, he said, because of that, I fed you with milk and not with meat, which was fine initially. But now he says in verse three, I've come back and you're still carnal. Should be able to give you meat, but, but you're not in any better position than when I first came to you. In fact, he says in verse four, you're acting like those without the Holy Spirit. Then in verses 5 through 9, he offers a solution to the Corinthian church, or begins offering a solution. Verse number 5, he puts out this questioning, who is Paul, who is Apollos? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom he believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? So Paul states that both he and Apollos are simply servants. That's all that term minister means when you find it in Scripture. Um, throughout church history, if we've, if we've dealt with clergy and laity, and mostly in church history, we've elevated clergy over the laity. We've let the term minister become sort of a... Uh, it carries some superficial clout with it a lot of times, but don't, don't misunderstand what it means. It simply means a servant. In fact, a lot of times when people ask me, well, what do you do? You know, what's your job? Some, to some people, I say, well, I'm a preacher. In fact, that's my favorite title. That's what I do. I'm a preacher. To some people, I'll say, well, I'm a pastor. Then to some people who I think maybe their denomination or maybe the faith that they're most exposed to wouldn't use that term or be sure what it is. Or maybe I want to clarify to them exactly what I mean by what I do. Because pastor can carry with it some superficial pedestal sitting as well. To those people, I might often just say, I'm a, I'm a minister. Now, if you misunderstand that word, you'll misunderstand what I mean. And I've had some of you say to me at times, and you've heard me say, I'm a minister, specifically those of you who are kin to me, say, minister? When did we start using that word? What I mean by that is, I'm the Lord's servant. And this is what Paul says here. Who's Paul? Who is Apollos? We're the servants of the Lord. And really, servant is the nice word, isn't it? The real term there is bond servant. I'm the Lord's slave. He's my master. He's a great master. I'd rather be his slave than to be a free man away from him. But nevertheless, who are we? We just do the king's bidding. We do what he tells us to do. We do what he's asked us to do. And some of you are walking around and saying, Oh, I've got a a Paul baseball card well I've got an Apollos card and it's first edition and signed he said this is craziness we're just servants Paul says here we're the means we're not the cause and you're allowing this ideology that we're the cause I was baptized by him well I was baptized by him well you guys weren't baptized by them you're getting things out of whack here he says Paul writes that they had been given this calling, this service by Jesus Christ. Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But servants by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. He, he gave you guys, he gave us to you guys to serve you. Jesus talked about this during his ministry. In Luke 22, he insists that the greatest in his kingdom must be the least. He says, but you shall not be so. Luke twenty-two twenty-six. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger and he that is chief as he that doth serve. Now this was unlike their worldly leaders. It's unlike our worldly leaders. Those in secular roles of power have often had the ambition and achieved getting there simply so they could be served. But Christians are to be the servants of all. 
whether they're leaders or not. And leaders should mirror that, should exemplify that for everyone else. Not to be served, but to be serving. As God's servants, church leaders, carry out their responsibilities as the Lord has assigned. He's given some pastors, some teachers, some evangelists. He's gifted these things to the church. And we carry out these responsibilities according to his assignment. When I was in school, I went to a Christian school mostly, and depending on where we were living. But my last few years of school where we were living, our church had a Christian school, and I went there, and the Christian school believed that, you know, there was really no reason for the church to have to pay for service workers in the church when we had all of these children who were able-bodied around, and so they would assign us tasks, and you did these tasks. Well, man, you wanted to be assigned a better task than the others. I mean, you were kindergarten through 12th grade, so there were kindergarten boys that used these restrooms. Need I say more? You didn't want the task of having to clean the toilets or clean the bathroom floor. It was a yucky task. You didn't want to be assigned this. But as they went through the daily assignments, the principal would get up and say, okay, you 11th grade boys, you all got the bathrooms today. You 10th grade boys, you all sweep the gym floor. He'd go through the whole thing, and we'd clean the whole school every day. And that's kind of how we did things around there. Oh, you, you liked it when you got a good assignment. You know, you guys are going to go outside, and you're going to stand and handle the car rider line. We didn't have to do anything. You stood there and smiled and waved to people's mama, you know, when they came by. And they would say, oh, we just love seeing you boys out here. Y'all are so handsome and responsible. And you keep little Johnny from getting run over by the car. And, you know, right in the middle of that, you're thinking to yourself, I really am a pretty great guy. And then you hear, beep, beep, beep. And you realize you're not doing your job very well. But this is what Paul is saying here. He says, you guys are putting us up on a pedestal. We're simply doing what the master's assigned us to do. We're fulfilling our given role. And, and that's happening in here right now. The Lord gave us Miss Wiggins to play the piano. The Lord gave us Emerson to do the interpretation for the deaf. The Lord gave us Jimmy to run the technology back there. And on and on and on this goes. He gave us Jared to keep us from getting shot up tonight. Thanks, Jared. Appreciate that. What a blessing it is in the, the body of Christ that there are these assignments. But when we get into putting, well, this assignment's better than that assignment, when we get into saying, well, well, I'm more concerned with this person than that person, Paul says, this is like the world. This is not like the church. And it's causing big problems among you. We carry out our responsibilities as the Lord has assigned. Worldly leaders are not this way. They, they actually lead to force their own ways upon others. Christian leaders are not to be this way. Christian leaders should seek to only serve God's will, to push God's will, to be influencers of God's will, not their own ideas, not their own ideology, not their own agenda. Pratt writes here, he says, by identifying himself with Apollos as servants, Paul reminded his readers that Christ was the true Lord. Can you imagine the temptation there must have been in the early church to treat Paul as Lord? And just look at the Catholic Church and the Pope. It would have been so easy for them, even that early on, to, to have gone ahead and adopted that sort of a situation. Here comes Paul. You know, this is Paul the Apostle. That's the guy for the Damascus Road. That's the guy we told you he got bit by a snake and it, it didn't kill him. He was preaching so long one night, Eutychus fell out the window of the bib center over there and died. 
Paul raised him back to life and went back to preaching. This is Paul. And it would have been easier for them to, every time Paul came to a new town, to say, let's do like they did for Jesus. Let's lay out the palm branches and say, thank you, Lord, for Brother Paul, who's come in the name of the Lord. And he says, no, this is, this is not who we are. This is not what we do. We're not going to celebrate a servant rather than the Lord. That would be foolishness. Harry Ironside, I love what he says here. He's, you, you can just kind of imagine him. He, he, he wrote during you know, pre-technology time. So you can just imagine Dr. Ironside sitting in the Moody Church, writing away there, or wherever he might have been when he was writing it. I'm going to put him in the Moody Church. I may have my timeline wrong. But I can just see him there in the office. He's writing away about this verse, and he's, he's commentating on it. And he says this. He says, can you imagine a household divided over servants? I can just kind of sense him writing that in frustration. Households don't get divided over servants. They get divided over the big characters that are in the household. This is the way the church should be. We don't glory in anything. Save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Get the tensing right there. You know, It's not we glory over Jesus Christ, king of the universe. We glory over Christ and what was his mind like? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even death on the cross. And because of that God has highly exalted him. And given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. But the mindset for Jesus was not, yeah, I'm Lord of all. No, he taught his followers, if you want to be great in this kingdom, be least, be servant. Paul writes, these leaders here in the early church had no authority of their own. They had no power of their own. The powerful gospel and the preaching which had converted the Corinthians belonged to God alone. Verse 6, he makes the statement here that Paul simply planted and Apollo simply watered, but it was God who caused the growth. And he says that again in verse 7. Verse 6, I have planted Apollo's water, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. God causes the growth. Paul is using an agricultural metaphor here to, to bring to their thinking the point that he's trying to make, their everyday life type of thinking. He simply says, I just planted some seed. By bringing the gospel to Corinth, all I did was bring the seed from the king of glory, the word of God, to you guys, and I put it in the soil. That's all I did. I was just a, a simply, I was a messenger, a delivery guy. I was the one who did what the king told him to do, and then I left town and went to the next place. And he said, Paulos, he just watered the seed that I had planted. For the king. But it was God who gave the growth. We can glean from this that Apollos must have followed Paul in teaching the Corinthians. Maybe Paul appointed him, left him there, I'm not sure, from this particular text. His point being that neither Paul nor Apollos was more important to the church at Corinth. Without a sower, there would have been nothing for Apollos to water. But had Apollos not watered what was sowed, the seeds would have come to naught. 
So it took both. Without someone, though, to tend the growing seed, it may as well have not been planted. But given that, you can plant the seed and you can tend the seed. But if God doesn't spring forth the life, there's not going to be any growth. Paul says, me, Apollos, we simply serve the Lord. He's the one who makes it grow. Their human roles, while key, while God's will, they accomplish nothing apart from the Spirit's power. Let us never forget that, church. We all have roles to fulfill in this gathering, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, the community group of friends that we have, our our workplaces. However God's got us laid out in this life, if we're in His will, we have this sphere of influence. Good sermon, Brother Scotty preached many years ago. I've always remembered that, Brother Scotty. I've stolen it and used it lots. (laughs) But in this sphere of influence God has given us in our lives, it's important that we plant and that we water, but let's never forget that nothing we do will be accomplished outside the Holy Spirit's power. Take the pressure off yourself a little. Not so much that you quit working and serving, but take it off that you've got to accomplish the work. Some of you know this. We've had this conversation, but what usually happens when me or you or The other guy decide, we've just got to force this thing. We've got to make it happen. And we never word it like that. This is how we word it. I'm just so burdened. I feel like I've just got to do something. I've just got to say something. And we start playing, for humans, it's manipulation. For God, it's illumination and regeneration. He's righteous. We're carnal. When we start trying to play God, man, it never goes well. Did you ever as a kid try to put your hands on somebody else's project? You know, maybe a buddy was stacking a house of cards or did you guys do the popsicle sticks in school? Somebody's gluing something together. You didn't have their vision. You didn't have their idea. Much vision as a six-year-old can have. But you went over to try to help and you put your hands on their project and what happens? Down comes the castle. Uh, It's often this way with us and God. We don't have his heart. We're working towards that. We serve him. But man, let us never get past this this understanding that it's his power that's going to accomplish it. It's his will. It's his ways. We're a part of his ways, but let's be careful what we stick our hands in. So Paul and Apollos, they only planted and watered. And they only did this because... God told them to do so. So what do we conclude from this? The blessing of salvation on the church at Corinth came through the power and the will of God. Given this, there's no basis for the Corinthians to be preserving loyalty to any particular leader. So there's no basis for their divisions. And and let's, let's address this in the modern church. This is not like me saying, you know, I need to be your favorite. And so we're going to make sure that I'm your favorite tonight. So Miss Wiggins, she's not going to play the piano. I'm going to play the piano. Because as much as you'd love to hear me preach, you would surely love to hear me play the piano. And so I'd go over there, and you can imagine what it would be. I, I, I can play a little. Dun, 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 That'd be the only song we sang tonight. I don't even know the lyrics to that song. This is not that. This is not this comparing roles or deciding who we won't wear. 
God gifts us all to fulfill our role and, and do our thing in this body that he's made us a part of here. Now what was happening here is they were saying, we're taking our eyes off Jesus and putting them on man. That's a big, big problem. We're going to have favorites. We're going to have those that we like more than the others. We could go around the room tonight and say, besides Chance, who's your favorite preacher? <laughs> and some of you would say Adrian Rogers, and some of you would say John MacArthur, and some of you would say Alistair Begg. And that's good that I'll leave anybody's favorite out. But, but what we're not doing is saying, well, unless you've been baptized by Adrian Rogers, I don't even know if you're saved. Or, I just, I'm not going to have any part with that. Adrian Rogers went on to heaven, so that's it for me. Until I go to heaven, I guess I just won't take preaching it anymore. See, that's kind of where the Corinthians were going. They, they were dividing themselves. They were having envy. They were having strife over, is it Apollos? Is it Paul? Is it Cephas? Big, big problem. No, it's Jesus. I love the story of the two preachers. There's names that go with it, and I don't remember the names, but they were British preachers back in 17 or 1800s. But the story goes, one Sunday, one was preaching at a special venue, and a lot of people went in, and after hearing him preach, as people were leaving, it was pretty common to hear, my, my, what a preacher. The next week, the other guy preached, and when people were leaving, it was pretty common to hear, my, my, what a savior. And this is the idea. This is what Paul is saying here. They had no basis for these divisions. What they had received through Paul, what they had received through Apollos, should have made them loyal to God, not to Paul or Apollos. They're just sent servants. This brings us to a conclusion for us, the church now. As servants, we are very limited in what we can do. Some of us can preach the word, but well, let me say that a different way. Some of us proclaim the word. Some of us simply pray for the word being spread to the unsaved, whether they're relatives, friends, whoever they may be. But the actual work of salvation can only be done by the Lord. So you do your part. And then the glory deserves to be given to God alone. That's verse 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything... Neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Glory to God alone. Through the Protestant Reformation, the Latin term was coined soli deo gloria. One of my favorite, favorite phrases throughout church history. Glory to God alone. On the basis of Paul's analogy here, he concludes that neither the sower nor the one watering was really anything at all more than instruments used by God. But it's God who makes things Grow so soli deo gloria. The Corinthians' failure to understand that God deserves all the credit for the blessings that believers receive was a huge issue here. They weren't giving glory to God alone. When the church will operate to the glory of God alone, there will be no envy, there will be no rivalry among Christian workers. MacDonald writes here each should do the work that has been allotted to him and rejoice when the Lord shows his hand in blessing. Some of you, and I'm just going to use myself tonight, and I don't mean to do this in a prideful way, but I don't want to use, use my examples from the pulpit. Some of you, one of your primary roles, and please don't everyone take this as your primary role. Some of you, your primary role is to be the encourager of the pastor. 
It was Brother Rye before it was me, and it, it'll be the next guy when I'm dead. But you are here all along, and you fulfill the role of encouraging the pastor. And it's a blessed role. And, and you can praise the Lord, not when you've been able to say to me, good job, or keep it up, or whatever. You can praise the Lord when you see me step back into the pulpit one more time and open the Word and rightly divide it. And then you can say, I've done what it is God's laid out for me to do. Whatever your role Whatever's been allotted to you, rejoice when the Lord shows his hand in that blessing. J. Vernon McGee taught this. He said the important thing is not who the preacher is. The important thing is whether God is using him. If God is using him, then God should have the credit for the results. Give God the praise and the glory. This is what the Corinthian church should have done. Soli Deo Gloria. Verse 8 then, Paul continues on this illustration here and he explains to them that the church is one now he that planteth and he that watereth are one and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor paul and apollos were not in competition they were actually working to complement each other's ministries according to this particular passage paul was a seed sower that evidently wasn't apollos's gifting he was a seed waterer Brother Hartzer is teaching us, he taught us last Sunday morning, he's teaching us this coming Sunday morning about how God has gifted us, how he's made us out to be. It was so neat as he taught us through the list of gifts last Sunday. As he went through, I would think, oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, that's me. And I would usually see myself in some of those negative traits. I was glad that pride was more than one of the categories. It was in every one, right? I I felt pretty guilty initially, and then it was everybody. I was like, okay, we're all guilty of that one. This is Paul and Apollos, gifted differently, gifted for different purposes. The point is God uses many workers, and all of his workers may do things a bit differently. You know how you're going to do things? The way you think it's right. And you know how I'm going to do things? The way I think it's right. Well, what do we do then when Brother Scotty thinks one thing's right and Chance thinks another thing's right? Do we have to fight and have a church vote over it to decide, well, who's actually right? Bless God. Do we start using the titles there? I think Brother Scott, he's come from me going down this road. Maybe he's not. Flag me down if I should stop. (coughs) Well, bless God, I'm senior pastor and Scotty's associate pastor. He could turn that around and say, well, listen here, kid. I've got 58 more years ministry experience than you do. Hush and do what I'm telling you to do. Is this what we're to do? No, this is not what we're to do. We're to say, praise the Lord, that little old Harpeth Baptist Church is a multifaceted ministry with all of these different people with different ways to do it right. And do it right in our own lanes. What a blessing that is. God uses many workers. And God uses each of us in our own way. And, and, and Notice I'm talking personalities here. How many interpretations of Scripture are there? There's just the one. All right? If me and Brother Scotty are going to disagree on an interpretation of Scripture, well, we need to get that right. We need to get that thing nailed down, right? We don't want to, we don't operate like that. That's how denominations have been formed over the years. We believe this means that. We believe it means that. All right, so Dewberry Baptist Church number one. Down the road, Dewberry Baptist Church number two. I've told you this story. They were 
fighting over foreknowledge and election at a church on the gra- dinner on the grounds. And the guy held his chicken leg up in the air and said it was predestined before the foundation of the world for me to eat this chicken leg. And the free will guy in the crowd knocked it out of his hand into the dirt and said, eat it now, buddy. <laughs> so now in North Georgia, there's Dewberry Baptist Church. Am I lying, Aunt Redonna? I'll be Jerry Clower if I'm lying, I'm dying. Dewberry Baptist Church, and it says N-O period one. And you go a mile down the road, Dewberry Baptist Church, N-O period two. Paul says, Corinthians, what are you doing? You've gotten your eyes off Christ. You've gotten your eyes off of how God gifts us differently and made us this way so that we can fulfill the body. He says, you're acting like you're all a bunch of ears and you're saying to the eyes, I don't know about you guys, you haven't heard anything in a long time. All y'all ever do is see, 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 see. And the eye says back to the ear, when's the last time you saw something? Shouldn't be this way. We should all have the same object, the same aim. If so, there should be no jealousy among the workers of Christ, that aim being the glory of God. Paul says here, each will be rewarded according to his labor. He that planteth and he that watereth are one. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his labor. MacArthur writes here, all the human instruments God uses to produce salvation life are equally considered and rewarded for their willingness to be used by God. But all the glory goes to him who alone saves. Because of that, the silly favoritism is condemned. Finally, in verse 9, Paul just reiterates that we're laborers together. Great verse of Scripture. For we are laborers together with God. Missionaries use this verse a lot. It's an important verse for missionaries. But it's an important verse for the local church. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Christians are co-laborers with God. Don't miss that point. We are laborers together in the will of God. But Paul's also making the point, that you're co-laboring with God and I'm co-laboring to God and that's the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. We're laborers together with God. And because of that, we're laborers together because we all belong to God. R.C. Sproul writes here, Paul's point is clear from the context. God alone is responsible for the success of Christian ministry. For this reason, it is folly to boast in human ministers. This is the Lord's work that we're employed in. It is him to whom we've devoted our labors. So as we see him as faithful and just, then we can know as we devote our labors to him, he will never disappoint us. So let's not look to men. Let's not be dependent upon human wisdom and human considerations. Calvin says here we have an admirable commendation of the ministry that while God would accomplish the work entirely himself, He calls us puny mortals to be, as it were, his assistants and makes use of us as instruments. That can insult you or that could just encourage you, however you take that. But Calvin is right. We are just puny mortals. And God could do this work on his own. He made a donkey talk once. Oh, nobody's going to do it. You were thinking it, weren't you, Lucky? (laughs) He's got a donkey talking again tonight is what Lucky was thinking there if you didn't catch that. Some of you are so nice and kind and pure. Okay, you were thinking of yourself, not me. All right, good. Sorry. 
I threw the softball and you hit it. I'm the one guilty for that. Paul ends then, <laughs> good time to end, with shifting his illustration of this from agriculture to, to construction. And that's where we'll pick up next time. He says, you're God's husbandry. And then he says, you're God's building. And then in verse 10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another build it thereon. But let every man take heed how he built it thereon. And really, I don't even need to preach that to you. If you understand the agricultural illustration, then you understand the construction illustration. So this division causing the Corinthian church is unnecessary. But aren't all divisions? That's what Satan does. He drives a wedge. Paul and Apollos are teammates here. They're on the same group. They're doing this together. I remember when I played football in school, we had a running back. He's really fast, really, really good. How many of you have ever heard of Herschel Walker? Okay, I didn't play with Herschel Walker. I'm not that old. But in the state of Georgia in high school football, Herschel Walker forever had all the records. He was the best. Well, this guy went to our small little school there in North Georgia Mountains and broke some of Herschel Walker's high school running back records. Like, I think he scored more touchdowns than Herschel Walker did or something along those lines. I'd have to look it up. But I'll never forget when we were in middle school, seventh grade. This, this guy was full of himself. He was super fast. Nobody could catch him. We didn't lose a game for two years in middle school football. Just we handed him the ball every time and he would run. He one time, he was so far ahead of the defense in scoring the touchdown, he, he stopped, looked at him, did a front flip into the end zone. The refs called a penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct, pulled the touchdown back. We ran the exact same play again. He scored again. It wasn't that they didn't know what was going to happen. They just couldn't stop him. He was faster than everybody else. So I played left tackle. My best friend played right, uh, left guard. And my best friend's dad was our middle school PE teacher, and he coached the football team. And I'll never forget in the huddle – this, this running back who was super fast and super talented, and I, I didn't even understand the rules of football at this point, he kind of looked at me and my buddy, who were the linemen, and slow and sluggish and preferred to be, give me the ball. I want to score a touchdown. He's, you know, that's where my head was. And he looked at us and he said, I wish y'all just stay out of my way. And so our coach said to us, he needs to learn this lesson before he gets to the high school. He said, on the next play, just stay out of his way. And we said, okay. So next play, we, we got out of his way. And there was the defense, and they smacked him in the backfield and knocked him down. We got back to the huddle, and he said, why didn't y'all block? And what did we say? Well, you told us to stay out of your way. What did we all learn there? We're on the same team. Paul says to the Corinthian church here, we're all blocking together. We're all running together. Let Jesus score the touchdowns. He's the star, he's the coach, he's the captain, he's the owner of the team. He's the main one. And we just get to stand in line with him. What a wonderful thing that is. Let us be so motivated as the church to live our lives and to, to run this operation that we have here of the local church. Soli Deo Gloria. To the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for time together in your word. Forgive us for the sin of division, the sin of envy, the sin of strife. Mostly for the sin of taking our eyes off Christ and getting them on people. Lord, when we do get our eyes on people, may they be in an uplifting way, in an encouraging way. But help each of us to fervently fulfill the assignment you've given to us. 
When we would do that for the glory of God, the church will run like a well-oiled machine. And the word in the neighborhood will be, these people are turning the world upside down for Jesus. And you'll be adding to the church daily. This is what we want. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good night. See you Sunday. Brother Hartzer at 9.15, and then worship at 10.30. Ladies night out, Friday night, softball game, Thursday night, weather pending, and Stephen will make let us know on that. All right, see you later.